The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Yesterday and Today podcast. This week on the show, we're going to be doing an interview interstitial episode. We've done these before. One time we did with Dan Ely to learn about wings on the farm. And we've had some others on the show in the past. But this week, we're celebrating the end of 1975 and the beginning of 1976 with an interview squared on Jimmy McCulloch's biographer, Mr. Paul Sally, is going to join us on the show. And he has so much cool insight into Jimmy McCulloch and what Jimmy meant to Paul's music and Jimmy's music outside of Paul's music. And we're really excited to be talking to Paul here today. So we're going to throw it to that interview here. But next episode, we will be back with the beginning of 1976. We hope you all have a great holiday season. Thank you again for listening to the show this year, and we'll take it away, Paul. like to welcome to the Yesterday and Today podcast, Mr. Paul Sally. Paul, you are a Jimmy McCulloch expert, biographer, Beatle fan turned historian. Hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Uh, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> He's good. I've been better. <laughs> We're all hanging in there. For sure. Yeah, so I guess I should introduce myself. My name's Paul Kaminsky, and I guess we'll go down the line here. James, uh, you're up next. Yeah, heartthrob of this podcast, I guess. Everybody knows me, you know. I'm James Kaminsky, the uh, the other white guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, patriarch. I'm, dad. I'm, I'm the older white guy. <laughs> um, Wayne Kaminsky. How you doing, Paul? Nice to meet you. You as well. So we're going to talk a little bit, Paul, about the Jimmy McCulloch project you've been working on. And we've also, you know, got some general questions about Jimmy's life and 
you know, in this podcast, we've learned a lot about how Jimmy got to join Wings. And we've also got to know a little bit about, you know, his personality and his place within the band and stuff. You know, at the time of this episode's release, I think we'll sort of be at the tail end of 75, beginning of 76. So right at the peak of him as a member of the band Wings, as we found out, you know, he's he was connected to McCartney in various ways for years prior to that. But before we get into Jimmy's life a little bit, I thought we'd talk a little bit about you, Paul. Before you got involved with the McCulloch Estate and this bio project, let's talk a little bit about how you got into the Beatles, your entry point into the fandom. Most people are Beatles first, Wings second, unless you're one of those rare unicorn <laughs> people who got into Wings first and then was like, the Beatles? Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got into Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Well, it was the winter of my seventh grade year, so that would have been 2000. And I saw the uh, commercial for the one. So I checked it out and I was like, oh, this band sounds pretty good. I like the music and stuff like that. So I ended up going to, I think, like Walmart or something and getting a CD. And that's kind of where it all started. Um, wow. So seventh grade me discovering the Beatles and Paul McCartney. Wow. So you came in at Beatles one. I mean, that's, I guess, the yeah. probably what they were hoping for. You know, Apple. Yeah, but uh, apparently, like a couple years earlier, I don't really remember this, but my mom was telling me I had got a Beatles calendar, and I didn't know who they were. I just thought that uh, I think the the cover might have been the Please Please Me album cover. So I thought that was really cool uh, huh. for whatever reason. And then I was looking through the calendar images, and I stopped on Magical Mystery Tour, and I was like, Mom, are these the same guys? <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy so. the idea of getting a, a calendar of four unknown Englishmen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like before you don't, before you know who they are, it's just like here's here's some here's some guys. <laughs> <laughs> what were you listening to before that? Were you listening to a lot of modern music and stuff? I was a huge uh, Bewitched fan, actually, uh, in sixth grade. Yeah, um, I remember them, the Irish girl pop band. I think they had four consecutive number ones. We listened to a lot of oldies as a kid. I remember listening to like uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, Elvis Greatest Hits, stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. You started listening to the Beatles. You came through on Beatles 1. At what point did you realize that there was a solo career in the works and that you were going to be following the career of Paul McCartney? When did you make that call? Um, well, I guess, as you know, Paul, sharing a name with Paul McCartney, <laughs> um, I think it's only natural that your interest in their solo careers would kind of lean towards Paul McCartney. Yeah. So I was pretty lucky. The following spring was when uh, Wingspan aired on ABC. Yeah. So I remember seeing commercials for that, so that piqued my interest. So that's kind of how I got into Wings and how I discovered Wings. I don't think I had any of their records at the time. I might have had McCartney. But yeah, Wingspan was was it. Wow, so you did exactly what they were hoping for at every level. <laughs> you were yeah. like, they were just really hoping they'd grab you with one and then Wingspan. That's amazing. So you went in pretty cold to Wingspan and then it just, I guess, grew from there? Yeah, uh, I knew nothing about Wings when I watched Wingspan. Honestly, I was more interested in what they would say about the Beatles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first kind of hour or so came and went. Uh, it was pretty interesting, but nothing that sort of grabbed my attention and kind of held it until Paul mentioned that they had this young whiz kid uh, named Jimmy McCulloch join the band. So that kind of, that's where it all started. It's interesting to jump right into Paul's solo career right after Beatles 1. Since I, I know me and Paul have said this many times, but Wings is the next logical step to move into the solo careers. George's stuff 
can be a little bit transcendental or or you know heavy meditative yeah and, yeah and heavy and darker even uh, and john's stuff can get a lot darker and ringo's is you know you, you really have to be in the right state of mind to enjoy <laughs> stuff sometimes <laughs> uh but <laughs> he's great live though yeah. oh fantastic live ringo and paul i would say are the two closest you know beetle-esque groups to to kind of jump into what are your feelings on bip bop i have to <laughs> ask i do love bip bop <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who's just like entertained by music. I don't really listen to it with a critical ear. It's a bop, so <laughs> I agree. I don't mind uh, it. I've been I've been holding this fort down for so long, really lobbying hard for bit bop. That, that, that's prior mind. to Jimmy. But Mary had a little lamb came later. What's your feelings on that one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we're not trying uh, to put you on the spot. We're just. <laughs> I mean, again, again, I don't mind it. I think it's part of Paul's genius. I mean. Here's a guy who releases Hi, 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 and then all of a sudden he turns around and releases Mary Had a Little Lamb because his daughter Mary liked the song. Like, yeah. that's genius to me. Yeah. Um, I know Henry McCulloch didn't like it very much, but, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Or was it a smack at the press for slagging him off on hey, Hi, Hi, Hi? You know, that was the other thing. That could be, yeah. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. Let's hear a little Mary Had a Little Lamb, Paul. <laughs> okay. All right. We were trying to be a rock and roll band, and Paul said, "I got to write some more rockers. We need some more rockers for the tour." And and, and I said, "Let's do Mary Had a Little Lamb." Went, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, we all kind of giggle at it, but just went along with it. There was a lot of things that we giggle at and just went along with, you know, because we were a band, but it was still Paul McCartney's band. He was the boss, you know. Well, you mentioned uh, live Ringo killing it live. We know you've seen Paul live quite a few times i was wondering if there's any uh you know special like highlights or standout shows you could share with us from seeing paul i think between the four of us we've we've all seen mccartney quite a few times but do you have any special memories of those you want to share with us yeah um you know always the first time you see paul is always a special experience um so that was when i was 13 14 something like that i went with my mom um mm-hmm. we went saw him in cleveland so that was 2002 so i was still relatively new to Paul's solo stuff, so like he played Sea Moon, and I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> so hearing Sea Moon in a live setting for the very first time was pretty cool. Yeah. Last year, going uh, with my girlfriend was pretty special. Yeah. In Green Bay. Awesome. All of them are special in their in their different way. Yeah. Did you ever see Denny Lane in concert? I did. Yeah, I saw. I've seen Denny twice. The first time I saw him was in Memphis, mm-hmm. Tennessee. So that was. In 2014 in December so that was one of those deals where I drove there in the morning from Rolla so that was about a six to seven hour drive wow visited a couple record stores had some barbecue went to the show hung out a little bit afterwards talked to Denny and then drove back that same night so that was that was a long one but but, uh yeah so I mean it was worth it it was pretty cool and then he played in St. Louis a couple years ago it was pretty good, but the first time I saw him was definitely the highlight. Yeah, he's definitely a nice guy.
the tour where he did the i know he was doing one with acoustic and then like stories and i i saw that one actually i went with ryan to that one is that the one you saw a couple years ago was he doing like just with an acoustic guitar playing songs and then telling stories about it or was it like a full band uh, it was a full band. He was still with the Criers then, so he didn't have his uh, his Moody Wing Band yeah. at that particular time. Both times that song was with the Criers. So. Oh, okay. At the show I was at, there was somebody with a bunch of Denny Lane tattoos on their arm, and I went, wow, I did not realize. Like, that's awesome. And Denny was, like, smitten. He was into it, you know? Was it uh, Chloe? That's probably who it was. She's a younger, like, teenage girl yeah that's cool she's really cool she's awesome yeah and she was yeah. like it was clear that she had like denny recognized her right away it was awesome i was like i denny must feel really good about that but it also made me feel good like oh yeah they're still growing wings fans this is great yeah <laughs> yeah yeah she's the world's biggest denny lane fan she's amazing now speaking of being a fan of guitarists and things out of all of the lead guitarists you got in the world you got your keith richards you got your, your george harrison's your jimmy hendrix your richie blackmore's jimmy page so many is jimmy mcculloch in your top five jimmy's number one for me wow no contest now, do you uh, have a top five? I was thinking about that earlier when i saw the question i was like oh dang i have to think of <laughs> think of five guitarists <laughs> um george harrison obviously is up there robbie krieger from the doors nice then i'm gonna go a bit modern uh with my favorite modern band it's a band called temples their singer and uh, lead guitarist james bagshaw Nice. Of course, you got like Townsend, Clapton, Jimmy Page, Keith Richards, Mick Taylor. The list goes on and on. What's your favorite Jimmy track? That he plays lead on or just in general? Just in general. And what he plays lead on, I guess. You know, that would be interesting. Aside from Wings or with Wings? Um, well, I'll kind of break it down. Uh, my favorite all-time song is Medicine Jar. So mm. besides Medicine Jar, my favorite... Wings track that he plays lead on is probably Letting Go. It's a great solo. That one's just a complete jam. And then outside of Wings, there's a song that he did with Thunderclap Newman called Accidents. Hmm. And you have to listen to the album version because the album version he does like a minute long solo. Oh, wow. And it's like a it's like a nine minute epic <laughs> epic That's song. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, those would be my top. I'm not super familiar with Thunderclap. Do you have like a recommendation for like, all right, here's the album to get into them with? Well, they only released one record. Then um, we only have a one. <laughs> the choice is very narrow. But most people only know of them because uh, they had the number one hit, Something in the Air. Yeah, which so, is excellent. <laughs> which is a great song, a song that still, to this day, it's pretty amazing. It still resonates to this day with everything going on in the world. But uh, but I would recommend Hollywood Dream um, by Thunderclap Newman, that record. It's my favorite album of all time. 
Nice. There's just so much great stuff on it. So my tracks on there that I would recommend would be Accidents, Wild Country, The Reason, and Hollywood Number 2. All right. Well, we've got our homework cut out for yep. us here. I guess we're going to go into um, more of your project on Jimmy McCulloch. And what gave you the inspiration behind creating this definitive biographical statement on Jimmy? Was it something in Jimmy's life that you felt akin to or what you wanted to explore? I mean, like I said, I got I got into him through Wingspan. And so mm. just from there, my interest kind of grew as I learned more about him. Like there wasn't really much out there. There was a fantastic GeoCities website that's uh, no longer on the internet, but uh, that had all like all the session work that he did and all the records he played on. So that was a huge, mm -hmm. huge favorite side of mine back in the day. But yeah, like most of the books, like Paul McCartney books, they would just have little blurbs about Jimmy. And they're mostly slanted negatively in terms of his personality. So that kind of made me think this guy, he deserves better than that. And he deserves somebody that would do things the right way and do a book about his life and career. So that kind of is where it all started. And McCartney's known for that. You know, he's known for spin and stuff. And I've noticed that too, whenever they talk about him, like it's always the whiz kid thing or yeah. he drank too much or did too many drugs or got into fights or whatever. Like there's like three things as a novice Wings fan, you kind of know about Jimmy and those I think all, you know, kind of stem from Paul. Although out of all the members of Wings, like there's not really that kind of memorable sort of character thing about everybody in Wings. And so McCartney, I feel like he elaborates actually about Jimmy more than some, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. But yeah. At the time when Wings changed their guitarist into Jimmy, I remember just everyone in my uh, circle of friends, we all loved the guy. We thought, wow, this is bringing something, a harder edge to Wings. You know, the, uh, I was joking before about Mary Had a Little Lamb, but that kind of just went away. You know, when you heard Jimmy McCulloch, it was more more hard rock, you know, things that we were used to at the time, like Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, 100%. He definitely brought the hard rock sort of edge to Wings. Not that Henry didn't. Have you guys listened to the the live stuff that just came out with the Retro Speedway yeah. uh, archive? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean that really shows what a phenomenal band that, that first lineup was. Um, and it gave me a new appreciation for for that lineup and for Henry, because, I mean, they could really rock themselves. We just yeah. didn't get to hear it for however many years. <laughs> but if you heard Paul McCartney talk about those days from 73, he would say pretty much that Henry, we're all stoned and we're out of tune, and, you know, it was just a big mess. And he enjoyed it, actually, with Jimmy, although he had different uh, opinions of Jimmy. I've seen Jimmy play, I, and the girls just scream for the guy, more so than <laughs> McCartney, it seemed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's just the nature of a touring rock and roll band, though, is just being yeah. a complete mess. I've, I've <laughs> never heard, uh, I've never heard of of any rock and roll band just like really, just following the rules and not, you know, being completely sober and all these other things. It's hard to, it's hard to find. If rock and roll is known for one thing, it's rule following and sobriety. <laughs> yes, um, no. I think you know what you get with. Jimmy, though, is because, like, I mean, that's the tour, you know, Wings Over America and Rock Show and that live album. I mean, 
I think there's a reason why when people think of wings, like that's the iteration they think of just because they had the visual there. And Jimmy looks like a rock star. He looks oh, awesome he up there. Yeah. And Joe is back there freaking whacking with his arms and sh- stuff like that. And his hair's flying. And like, those are images that are really, they're not, they're not like cartoonish, but they're easy to remember characters. So yeah, I think that first iteration of wings gets, gets a bad rap sometimes, but, and like you were saying dad, by even McCartney himself, but mm. I mean, all the iterations had something to offer, you know, for sure. Yeah. That slant you're talking about in, in McCartney books, that's why it's kind of crucial to have a lot of different people to talk to and to get their insight on, on a person. Because if you're just getting the information from someone like McCartney, you are only going to get McCartney's perspective on, on the matter. But in your book, you're interviewing a lot of people. How did you select the people you interview for the book? Mostly it was just like I would do my research and get in touch with people who knew him. And then a majority of people were more than happy to help. So I never went in like chronological order. It was just a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, okay. And they just kind of piled up over time. So were any of them recommended to you or, or part of a specific period? Quite a few people were recommended a certain person or certain people. So not really toward like, towards like a specific uh, era or anything. It was just, hey, so-and-so knew Jimmy during this time. We should drop him a line, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I'm so much looking forward to this book, <laughs> and we'll ask you about that in a minute. But you must have interviewed quite a few people. Is there anybody that you interviewed that uh, had a most surprising element to it or a surprising interview? Like any type of story or insight that they would have shared about Jimmy? I think that's a good question. Um, somebody that, that I interviewed that gave a great insight was probably John Hamill, okay. who was Wings Guitar Tech during the tour. And as you probably know, he was Paul's right-hand man for years until he right. recently retired. So he kind of gave the technical instrumental aspect, which I didn't have at that point. So lots of good info there for the, the music nerds. Nice. Who like, yeah. who like to know about his his gear and stuff like that. So Anything fascinating you want to share prior to the book? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> so the project, is it covering the entirety of Jimmy's career or with a special maybe emphasis on Wings or just in general? Uh, just in general, it's um, his life and career. So like Wings doesn't get any special treatment. I mean, well, visually it could because, I mean, there's a whole bunch of photos of him yeah. during that era, but that's about it, really. Nice. So you're, you're covering his whole life, which means he had been a part of music for quite a long time. He turned pro at 15 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Jimmy's entry point into music? Yeah, well, uh, his first band was called the Jagars, and that was uh, formed with his brother Jack and a few uh, schoolmates. And Jimmy was 11 then, so... <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Me and Paul were recently talking to another person who had uh, started music very, very young, Dex Romweber of the Flat Duo Jets, and he started at 12, and it led to some raucous things. And it's fair to say that Jimmy was also involved in doing things to excess, uh, some might say. And it's hard to answer, of course, but do you think being so young in this business could have possibly contributed to that? Yeah, I would say probably a little bit because he was always like the youngest member of of every band that he was in. So he really didn't have like a lot of experience of life in terms of like how to deal with things mm-hmm. um, and how to treat people. It's very like uh, I kind of think of uh, Michael Jackson in the same way. Okay. Yeah. He started very young as well. So 
But then again, who knows? But I do think that starting off so young and having success at such a young age... It's tough, yeah. And the, yeah, and the era that he was in. True. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do him any favors. Right. So what were some of those other early bands he said? Did he have more than one before? Like, where's Thunderclap fit into? I'm very fascinated by Thunderclap, partially because I love the name. But <laughs> so the Jaguars were his first band, yeah, and they they ended up supporting like all the big name acts that were coming to Scotland at the time. Yeah, I think they supported every big name band except for the Stones and uh, the Beatles. So they supported the Who. Wow, uh, and that and that's where Jimmy met Pete. Huh. But the, so the Jaguars didn't release anything. So then they kind of broke up, and that led to One in a Million, which is, I guess, would be his first professional band at 13, 14, because they released a couple singles. And then, so after they broke up in 68 was when Thunderclap Newman kind of started to form. Wow. Um, so he, so Jimmy would have been 15 when Thunderclap Newman <laughs> formed. That's amazing. Yeah, I was watching one of those interviews the other day. And he's talking about, you know, it's it's all Wings being interviewed in 76. And yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm 23. And I'm just thinking, like, how? How are you 23? <laughs> because he was, I mean, that's really, that's like stupid young. Like, it's really, I think that's younger than, well, let's see. No, Paul McCartney was Yeah, I 21. guess they would have been, they would have been younger. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I suppose, yeah. But still pretty darn young i mean that was it's younger than ringo and john at the start of the american beatlemania anyway well jimmy had been playing since he was 11 so he'd been in the business quite a long time that's amazing and so one of the things i love about the beatles story is all these little intersections and i mean it's easy to forget that they're real people and start thinking about them in terms of the mythological sense because they have such a story built around them the beatles i mean but you know talking about the story for a moment you know there's a lot of characters that come in and out of the story at different places and one of the things i find most interesting is that yeah jimmy and paul would have had some tangential run-in in 69 on the magic christian soundtrack album right because thunderclap newman had um something in the air and there's also come and get it which was produced by Paul. Do you know if Paul ever wound up interacting with Jimmy at all in in 69 era? I know that um, Paul is aware of him at that time because in the Let It Be tapes, there's a a little audio clip of, I think, Michael Lindsay Hogg talking about Thunderclap Newman (laughs) and uh, with Paul and Ringo, I think. And they're talking about how, uh, I think it was Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp were talking to Michael Lindsay Hogg about Jimmy and how he was... 14, 15 at the time, but it looks like he was like 10. Yeah. He can play the guitar just uh, beyond his years. So that's the only thing that I've heard of. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure how Thunderclap got the song on the Magic Christian record. That's a good question. run into him during the McGear sessions, right? Yeah. yeah. Later. 
and I wonder if it, if that stayed in his head at all. Or do we know? I know. I know. I'm sort of skipping ahead a little bit, but do we know how Jimmy was hired into those McGear sessions? McCartney did he audition for that? Well, Jimmy had played um, on the Susie and the Red Stripe stuff right. a few months prior to that, so he went over with uh, Paul Linda and Denny, and um, I think it was Davy Lutton. So they went over to Paris and did those tracks, and then uh, Paul must have liked Jimmy's playing and thought he was a good hang. Yeah. So Paul remembered that when uh, McGear started their sessions and Jimmy was brought in, Paul liked his playing, and then uh, so Jimmy's playing on that record had him join Wings. He didn't audition or anything. Yeah, I will tell you this interesting story. It's kind of a, a scoop in the book. So when Jimmy got the offer to join Wings... He had another offer the same day. I'll let you guys guess first and see if you guys know who it could possibly be. Was it the who? No. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good guess. Uh, Pete's like, listen, I need an understudy. (laughs) I am going mobile over here. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm going to guess it it was the edges position in U2. No. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a beetle? No. Oh, man. Let's see. 74 or 5 in that window? Couldn't have been Led Zeppelin. 74. 74. I feel like I've heard so many stories of Zeppelin auditioning or like asking other people to be in the band that then turned it down. So I don't know. Jimmy Page wouldn't have allowed it, maybe. <laughs> I, I got nothing. If this Uncle. helps, it, it, it wasn't a band. Okay. It wasn't a band. Broadway. <laughs> it was a well-known artist. Wow. Tom Jones. <laughs> um, uh, Elton. Elton John. No, no. Uh, come on, that was uh, a good guess, though. The, give me a good guess. It was a good guess. Um, <laughs> Have a Billy Joel. Well, this might give it away, but he had uh, multiple... Lacerations. Multiple personalities in his music. Jeez. Liberace. Garth Brooks. A very young Garth Prince. Brooks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Whoa! Oh, wow. David Bowie. Wow. That's amazing. And he turned down Bowie. Yep. He turned down uh, David Bowie to join Wings. Huh. I mean, I guess there was probably a bit more stability? I mean, also, you, McCartney was a Beatle. Are you going to say no to a Beatle? I mean, for Bowie, maybe. I don't know. Guys from Mars, I don't know. <laughs> well... I talked to uh, Jimmy's brother, Jack, and let's just say that McCartney ran things a bit more professional than, uh, <laughs> than David Bowie's camp at the time. Because sure. he told me he told me that David's wife, Angie, kind of ran all the shots back then. And mm. uh, so that didn't work out. Yeah. Wild. How did Bowie get in contact with him? Do you know? So back when Jimmy and Jack were in One in a Million, they actually supported david's band at the time i can't remember what david's band was called but it was before 69 so uh and it was before his solo record too i think in 67 mm-hmm. i can't remember what what the band was called but so they supported him then and then i guess it was kind of well known at the time when when jimmy was kind of looking for work so i guess david kind of knew about jimmy obviously and sort of liked his playing wow. enough to want to play with him so <laughs> nice so that's kind of an interesting what if 
factor. Um, I know Jack told me that it never would have happened, but still, you know, it's kind of an interesting what if. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there would have been an off chance there that he would have played with John Lennon, I guess, because the session that produced Fame would have been in that window, or at the very least, like, there's a possibility of that. So kind of traded one Beatle for another in a, in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think um, in a lot of ways, John Lennon told David Bowie to get rid of management and manage yourself, and maybe and maybe that gave it all to uh, David Bowie's wife. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And maybe he didn't appreciate it. He wanted more structure, and, you know, Mr. Structure, McCartney. So. Yeah. Yeah, Paul would never involve his wife in a, a musical enterprise. <laughs> never. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> If we've learned anything about him, it's that music is definitely not a family affair. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I'll share another story that's in the book. Please. This is shortly after Jimmy joined Wings. He almost left, like shortly after he joined, to join up with uh, the James Gang, Joe Walsh's oh, old right. band. Yeah. Nice. So Jimmy was in the process of joining them, but it was Linda that kind of made, made the last-minute pitch for him to stay. And huh. So that's another interesting what-if. Hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. Did Linda and Jimmy have a rapport in the band that would have allowed for that? Because Linda's relationship with the other band members I always find sort of interesting because they, in the back of their minds, must have been thinking... She's here to support Paul, even though, like, we know Linda brought a lot more to the table. But in the back of their minds, there must have been that thinking. And I wonder, what was Jimmy's relationship with Linda in Wings? I don't know much about it, but my opinion is that she probably kind of mothered him a little bit because you know he was the baby of the group and uh yeah so just going through uh wings now you know we were talking about lead guitarists earlier as george harrison brought the 50s style of lead guitar work to the beatles and henry really brought that late 1960s style into wings which was great for what it was how would you classify Jimmy? What did he bring, or what type of style do you think he brought? I know I mentioned before it was hard rock, but what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, that would be be my viewpoint as well. He definitely brought that sort of hard rock edge to Wings. Most casual fans just see Wings as, uh, you know, oh, silly love songs, let them in, poppy stuff like that, but they don't hear letting go, beware my love, soily stuff, like medicine jar, you know? Yeah. So Jimmy definitely added that rock edge to, to kind of made Wings legitimate and cool, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have to say, Paul, you have a fantastic website, the Jimmy McCulloch fan. Oh, thank you. And um, on one of your YouTube channels, you had actually all the lead guitar intros to Solly. And I thought, wow, I never thought about it before, but Jimmy changed most of the lead guitar solos that <laughs> prefaced Soily. And I thought that was great and fantastic. And I listened to every single one of them you had there. And I never really realized that before. It was fantastic.
thought it was really cool that he made up usually every night a different intro mm. for Sorley. And, you know, good for Paul for allowing Jimmy to express <laughs> <laughs> express uh, his creative wings, so to speak, and, and allow him to do something a little bit different and special for the, the audience that mm. particular night. Yeah, because Paul was very much do it like the record kind of thing. But I guess Soily is one of those exceptions there where it wasn't really on a record. So I guess they had a bit more freedom (laughs) with that. It does make me kind of wish we had more Wings style concerts for Paul nowadays because everything in Paul's repertoire at this point is is kind of canned, even his, his banter. It makes me wish I could get, you know, a little bit of a different intro or solo or, you know, something along those lines that people who saw Wings may have gotten. Oh, we didn't realize it at the time when I saw him quite a few times. Mm. <laughs> it was all the 70s, man. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, James, yes. check out Paul's website. It's fantastic with all those solos. It really is. It'll, it's eye-opening. Mm. And we're talking about, you know, leaving the bands. Like, Henry left the band. He was getting fed up with Paul with Play It By The Record. So when he would change the solo for My Love, McCartney never liked it. And he was like, no, you play it the way I told you to play it. Uh, (laughs) Regarding Jimmy leaving the band, you know, I heard many stories, Paul, about, you know, over the years of Jimmy getting fed up with Paul or not allowing him to be more creative or sing more songs or even the side stories of, you know, his antics, which... I wasn't there, so I can't really say. But, you know, some of the things that they're saying, oh, he got drunk one too many times. And there was one story, I think I saw it somewhere, or I was reading it somewhere, about Jimmy going into the farm during the Mullican tire sessions of Paul and Linda's farm and going into the hen house and destroying all the eggs there. How, what do you think? <laughs> Which came first, the Jimmy or the egg? <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> well, the egg story came from uh, an interview that I did with one of the recording engineers at the time. Okay. He described it as sort of like a rock and roll incident had taken place the previous night, and then the following morning, Jimmy wasn't with the band anymore. <laughs> so there's that aspect. And then one thing I, I would like to say is there's been a story out there that's been rumored for years and years and years, and I don't know how anybody could ever believe that it could ever be true. And that's the infamous gun story. So that story is 100% false, and I debunk it in my book. And when I talked to Jack, Jimmy's brother Jack, he told me that Jimmy left over money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I believe it, it. yeah. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, Jimmy just felt that he should have been paid a little bit more than what he was getting at the time. Because, you know, he's been one of the biggest bands in the world. It's not an uncommon complaint from Wings no, members. He and, <laughs> yeah, so, he and Denny Sywell could get along very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Jimmy let his voice be heard and he got sacked. And Joe English left the band as well, but he was quiet. That particular lineup of Wings could have been together a lot longer, I think, if Paul had paid them properly, but. No. They didn't. So, I mean, I know a lot of people, like, I've seen comments where people are like, oh, how can uh, Jimmy leave Wings? He's playing with Paul McCartney. Like, that's the only thing they care about. Nobody was in his situation, so, I mean. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like Paul had said, uh, you know, the Beatles story gets blown up to mythological proportions sometimes. So, uh, 
you know, people don't realize that Paul McCartney is also a, a human being with faults and, uh, yeah. you know, he still, he still can have problems with a person, even if they're famous. Right. One of the things we've always heard about Paul is that, you know, he want to give the audience what they want and you want to make sure that they're getting bang for their buck and that they're, that, you know, it's a very workmanlike ethic. And that 76 Wings tour, smash success, a lot of encores. There's a story floating around there about maybe Jimmy not wanting to go out and do an encore and Paul sort of shaking him or whatever he did. And I don't know, was that, is, is that story true? And also, do you know if there was any other sort of tense moments like that between Paul and, and Jimmy or maybe Jimmy and the rest of the band? I don't know of any other tense moments. That particular moment that you're talking about, that did happen. I think Jimmy didn't want to go out for the encore for whatever reason. So he just decided he wasn't coming on. And uh, Paul obviously didn't like that. And uh, he went backstage. And I can imagine the argument was quite expletive. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I think Paul described it in the Wings Over America book as, you know, he kind of punched him. And and then I guess after that, Jimmy went on and did his job. But uh, that's the only moment that I've read on that tour. So, who, I mean, who knows? I'm sure right. there are, I mean, when you're with a band for that long a time, I mean, moments like that are going to pop up now and then. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're punched by a man with satin pants, I mean, <laughs> there's just no repairing that. that yeah, so, and a mullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it so I mean it's it's interesting for me being such a, you know, fan of Jimmy's, like people just gloss over the fact that Paul used violence against Jimmy. Like yeah. people just gloss over that fact. I guess cuz he's Paul McCartney. He gets a pass, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's been some stories too of people like Howie Casey saying that Jimmy may have had some differences of opinion, let's call it, with McCartney over like style or genre of music, some, you know, as London would call it the granny stuff. Have you ever heard any specific stories about that, of those two clashing over tracks like, you know, that have more disco flavor, the granny music flavor, stuff like that? Not like that, no. But I did talk with Howie a little bit, and he said that, uh, understandably, Jimmy wanted to play material that was a bit more rockier than what Paul was doing with Wings. Sure. Kind of think of it, it's a shame that Jimmy left when he did, because Back to the Egg would have been perfect for him. Can you imagine that album with Jimmy and Joe? That would have been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been been great. I mean, no shade to Lawrence and Steve. I mean, those those guys are awesome too, but I feel like Lawrence and Steve were much more in the McCartney school. They seem very tight. I don't know a better word for that, but they seem very... Like at least Lawrence Juber had this big, he was extremely technically proficient. It wasn't quite as much the Jimmy thing about feel, although Jimmy was you know, obviously technically skilled as well. But yeah, it just gave that whole album, it felt very tightly wound as opposed to the kind of wilder, sort of raucous mid-70s version of that band. Yeah. Speaking of raucous, you know, I was just wondering about Jimmy and his time in Paris during the Wings tour of 75, early 76 where he broke his finger, I guess the famous finger incident. Mm-hmm. And he said it in an interview that he was coming out of a shower and that's when he fell. He was slippery and this and that. But there's been other writings and accounts that he either punched out a TV during a wild party after a show or 
in your research, have you found anything other than him falling from out of a shower, coming out of a shower? Or do you think that account of him perhaps having a little wild party after a Wings concert was more accurate? The bath story um, is what happened. I just spoke with uh, his brother Jack yesterday, actually, and we talked about this. And he confirmed that the bath story was was accurate. I don't know where the story about Jimmy punching the TV or punching David Cassidy or whatever. I don't know. I don't know where. I don't know where that that story got its legs. Another man in satin pants. Um, so that's his trigger. Yeah. So yeah, I have no idea where these stories come from, but I guess they kind of fit in with jimmy's supposed wild reputation yeah, yeah and you know they just grow so much over time that nobody's refuted them yeah. until now so yeah i can confirm that i mean although they weren't friends so to speak jimmy and david cassidy they did hang out once in a while whenever they were you know near each other so yeah. put that myth to bed okay it is pretty remarkable how ensconced david cassidy was with the solo beatles like he was taking yoko to shows dudes hanging out on the queen mary with george and paul like he i mean i guess it's just because he he was was very popular yeah very famous at that time but and he wanted to be involved in the rock scene so i guess he was following and hanging out with with rock and roll people at the time I like his cover of Tomorrow a lot, actually. I like it. It could be that uh, David Cassidy wanted to be taken seriously as a musician. Yeah. Right. As sure. well. Because, yeah. I mean, you think, oh, Partridge Family, they're not, David Cassidy, he's not a serious musician. I did a minimal amount of research on him not long ago for another podcast I do, and, and that was a huge sticking point with David Cassidy was just being taken seriously. Like, he wanted yeah. he wanted to be a rock and roller. He's like, I'm not... I'm not the Partridge family guy anymore, <laughs> but uh, that was a, a huge thing for him. And so I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Back on to Jimmy. Do you know if there were any plans for him to do a, a third song on a, an album like London town or something along those lines? Cause we did hear somewhere that Jimmy played on Mullican tire. I don't know if you can verify that he, he did or did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He played uh, acoustic rhythm guitar on it. Oh, wow. Hmm. And then in terms of a, a third song on London town, no, Okay. Paul dropped the idea of including any of Jimmy's songs on any more of the records, so that's kind of why he wanted to ask for more money. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Because he wasn't getting any songwriting royalties or anything like that. I mean, Paul so. was dropping all the money on a yacht in the Virgin Islands. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, well, what? Why? Do we know why there was a moratorium on... Because, I mean, that, that rule didn't apply to Denny. That's a good question. Um, I'm not 100% sure as to why. Huh. That's also interesting. You said, Paul, about Mull of Kintyre. So there was three acoustic guitars on that track? Apparently, yeah. Um, I just know that um, Mull of Kintyre was the last thing that he did, and his brother confirmed that to me. So it's possible that he recorded his part prior to that August session. Mm. And, you know, that's why he's not in any of the photos of the recording sessions or anything like that. But. Oh, 
Yeah, I guess that's similar to the old Wings from 73, recording some of the tracks like Leave It on the McGear album, mm-hmm. as well as even doing the run-through of Band on the Run. You know, I'm sure McCartney kept some of that info somewhere. It was stolen, Dad. Those tapes were stolen and taped over. That's the myth. I think they're out there. they got to be out there. Somewhere. Yeah, they've got to be out there. I mean, Danny's got it in an attic or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there's there's somewhere. That'll be for the 50th anniversary. We'll yeah, right. I thought the story was that Henry had a copy. That's what I read anyway. Uh, well, who's in charge of his estate right now? And how That's can we question. get in touch with them? <laughs> <laughs> this has got the makings of a National Treasure sequel right here. I'm very excited about it. Um, we just have to call Nick Cage. Yeah. <laughs> Notorious Beatle fan, Nick Cage. <laughs> An Elvis fan. At, at the very least in that uh, documentary, uh, The Rock. She thinks it's dumb to spend $600 on an LP. Well, Carla's right. Why don't you just spend $13 on a CD, man? Well, first of all, it's because I'm a Beatle maniac. And second, these sound better. So we talk about the 76 version wings that, well, I call it the 76 version. Let's call it the uh, mid-70s wings. He was working on stuff with that band long after they stopped working together because I've heard in interviews with folks on other podcasts that... You know, he was really laboring over the rock show film soundtrack, even beyond the labor that was poured into the um, Wings Over America uh, stuff for that record. He was working on rock show stuff as late as like, I don't know, just prior to its release, 78, 79, stuff like that. Overdubs, things like that, sweetening stuff. Do you know if they ever went in and and sweetened any... uh, Jimmy's solos or ever messed around with anything like that in there or do you think that they primarily just left Jimmy's stuff alone for that the only thing that I've read is an interview that Jimmy did in August of 77 where he talked about they were going into the studio to work on the concert film which I think would have been rock show yeah it didn't specify anything in terms of like sweetening or anything like that but yeah. uh, my guess would be that Jimmy's stuff was left alone yeah that's good. It's different than what Paul McCartney's used to then, because I think he redid most of Shea Stadium when that film was coming out. <laughs> as far as changing things, I mean, Jimmy wrote a lot of songs going back in time, you know, like Medicine Jar and Wino Junko, as you know, with his old bandmate Colin Allen, uh, mm-hmm. who really just wrote the lyrics while Jimmy just wrote the melodies, as far as I know. I mean, you can educate me more if, if that's untrue. Was there any Jimmy songs that were up and coming and not recorded by Wings or maybe not on bootleg per se, but that he wrote and never, ever recorded or released in his whole body of work? Uh, Well, first of all, you are correct. Colin did write the lyrics and then he gave the lyrics to Jimmy, who put them to music. Mm -hmm. So and and Paul knew that, too, back in the day. He's in interviews I think promoting Speed of Sound, he talks about how Colin wrote the lyrics and Jimmy put them to music. And the recent archive books, he takes that revisionist history slant and say, oh, Jimmy wrote this as a warning to himself, yada, 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 which is 100% false. But, you know, of course, people will believe it to be true, which mm-hmm. is uh, unfortunate. But, uh, until, well, until they read my book. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but there is some stuff that he recorded after Wings with Colin, the, his band White Line recorded 
a song of his called Too Many Miles. Jimmy's last band, uh, The Dukes, they recorded a track of Colin and Jimmy's called Heartbreaker, which is kind of like a hard rock, uh, metal-esque type song. Mm. Wow. And then Jimmy did have unreleased songs of his that he wrote, but I don't think they were ever recorded. Scraps of paper Uh, and stuff? Nothing, yeah. Any type of scraps of paper at all from his brother? Have you found out? I have seen handwritten lyrics on scraps of paper, but nothing more than that. Mm. So you mentioned White Line. I was able to catch one of the uh, videos of it online, which I think you actually you, you put up, which I didn't really, I don't know, I really knew nothing about that project, but it, it looks like it was filmed and possibly recorded in the direct aftermath of the Wings tour in 76. So can you tell us a little bit about White Line and where that sort of sat in the chronology between the tour and London town? So White Line kind of recorded in between breaks of Wings' schedule. I think their first gig must have been 75. Um, It was just like spontaneous. Jimmy Jack and Dave Clark would get together with some friends at a pub or whatever and play. So it was really spontaneous. They performed a few gigs and then they recorded some songs. And uh, they released a single, Call My Name and Too Many Miles. And then they kind of went their own separate ways, which is a shame because, I, I mean, they're great. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love the harmony, and it really gave Jimmy a chance. I mean, he wasn't playing a solo on that video. I saw it was just acoustic guitar, but it looked like they were really gelling. Yeah. So Jimmy's song, Too Many Miles, that they released with White Line, he actually did a version way back in 73 with his band Blue. Hmm. They performed it on John Peel's radio show. Ah, yeah. So I just found that this year. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. So it's a bit more like straight rock as opposed to the, like the bluesy sort of version of, of White Line. Was that when John Peel was still doing the pirate radio or is that had he moved to, to Maida Vale at this point? I think it might have been after he moved to Maida Vale um, yeah. Studios, which is uh, where Jimmy lived. He got a flat in Maida Vale um, wow. in the little Venice area in 76. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Going on to something a little bit more delicate regarding Jimmy, I remember when this happened, and I got the news from Rolling Stone, and I was totally shocked. Uh, I remember my friend saying, wow, really? What happened? I mean, Jimmy's dead. He was a young guy. 
But when Jimmy died, he was found alone, I, I learned later on, by his brother. And in McCartney's Wings Over America archive, Paul says that Jimmy died of heart failure due to a heroin overdose. I don't remember, and I know I have the article somewhere here regarding that situation. Do you think he was depressed? Do you think McCartney's assessment of it was pretty much spot on? Or what did you find in researching that? Well, he passed away from heart failure due to morphine poisoning. Mm. So I'm not okay. really sure oh. where the where the all that where the heroin thing kind of interest took a turn and kind of grew as so many stories pertaining to Jimmy have right. over the years. But um, no, he he wasn't depressed or anything like that. I, it was just one of those things that um, was a tragic accident. Yeah. I mean that that's all you can say really. Um, I know there's conspiracy theories out there. That are completely unfounded and yeah, such a sad story. Or, you know, a sad ending. You know, and you feel bad that that had happened. And then you know, also I'm I'm reading in uh, or I read in the Wings uh, at the Speed of Sound archive collection that Paul does do a question and answer moment with Barry Miles, and the song Wino Junko is asked to Paul and McCartney says that Jimmy was prone to excess and the band would even talk to him about partying too hard. Almost like what Paul, my son Paul, was saying before about Linda being a mother figure to Jimmy. What did you find in your research? Do you think that to be true? Yeah, were they giving him interventions and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, yeah, people release when they're having a good show or, you know, when they have a little bit of an ego moment. You know, that's understandable. But do you think he really, in your research, did excess on on stuff like that? My main focus was to portray Jimmy and show him in a more positive light and kind of steer away from all the negativity. Because, I mean, for the past 40 years or however long it's been, that's basically just been like any time you would hear Jimmy's name mentioned or whatever, it would always be in a negative light. Besides, you know, oh, here's a wonderful musician for being somebody so young, but then they'd instantly say something negative. Mm. So I just wanted to kind of set the record straight and show people there's a whole other side to Jimmy that people don't know. And, like, all the stories out there that have grown over the years are completely, you know, unfounded. And so the truth will be told in in my book about Jimmy. And... um I mean, I, I know he wasn't an angel. You know, he was a young rock star. So, I mean, I'm sure he had some crazy nights, mm. as any rock star did back then. Yeah. But Wino Junko, like, again, Paul's perspective is that Jimmy wrote the song, which isn't true. Right. Uh, Colin wrote it. So I feel it's a bit unfair to Jimmy's memory for Paul to, you know, say that Jimmy wrote Medicine Jar to warn himself and then Wino Junko is uh, about his excess. I don't think that's particularly fair to Jimmy's memory or his loved ones, especially since it's not the truth. So, Yeah, it feels a bit like a manufactured reputation or something along those lines in some regards. Um, But there's more to the guy than that reputation and and his musical prowess should speak for itself in in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's going to be some uh, some more in-depth stories in this book and, and from the interviews and things like that 
do you know if there was any uh, anything he was working on or that was on the horizon before he passed away? I know you said you you'd seen some some scribblings and some uh, scrawlings and stuff, but anything that you know of that uh, he was working on before? The band that he was in, the Dukes, they were about to embark on a uh, tour because mm-hmm. they had just released their record. I think like a week prior wow. um, to Jimmy passing away. So there was that. And then his musical ambition was to do a solo album. Um, he'd been working on it off and on for years. And unfortunately, he didn't get enough time to complete it. So I'm sure he would have found time to, to finish that and put that out. That would have been cool, yeah. Yeah, and and who knows what, what the future would have held for for Jimmy, it's interesting to think about. You have to imagine a, a solo album of his would have been packed with like guest appearances and things along those lines too. I would have would have loved to have seen that. Heck, maybe even Bowie would have showed up. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You know what I found fascinating is that Jimmy, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I read this somewhere, probably on Wikipedia or something, that Jimmy actually played on one of the boys, the Roger Daltrey solo album. Yep. And that's yep. where Paul McCartney wrote a song and Roger sang it. Ride, was it? Um, J- they called her Jenny. Yeah, oh, yeah, Giddy, 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 Giddy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was well, it was originally wrote all night, and right. then Paul rewrote it for Roger yeah. and turned into Giddy. So Jimmy played on that, and then he played on um, "Say It Ain't So, Joe." Yeah, and he appears in the music video for that alongside Roger, Keith, and John Entwistle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I found that fascinating. It's one of my very few solo uh, Who albums that I really like, besides Rigor Mortis sets in by Entwistle, John Entwistle. Jimmy also plays on uh, John Entwistle's solo album, uh, Whistle Rhymes. He oh, plays on okay. a couple tracks. I think I have that. Um, yeah. Alongside Peter Frampton. Nice. Mm. Well, so that was in 72. While we're on the Who, I mean, you... You've you've had run-ins with with Mr. Townsend. You've you've been in the same flesh space as as Pete. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? Could he hear you at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I got to meet Pete very briefly, and then I did an email interview with him uh, for awesome. the book. So nice. I'm hoping he can once he reads it. If he'd write the forward, that would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I do have to ask you about your book, though, Paul. Any trying to reach out to McCartney for any stories? <laughs> I've tried numerous times to reach out to Paul for an interview. He's always been uh, a bit He's too busy, busy yeah. which is you know understandable. Yeah. But he did give me permission to use um, some photos from his archive oh, nice. uh, for the book. So wow. at least there's that. Yeah, um, that's cool. And then I think by, by allowing me to do that, is that's kind of his approval, I guess, of what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Any chance of uh, Jimmy getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with any of his previous bands or band members? Any plans for an induction? Can we send a letter to somebody? <laughs> Whose congressman should I write to? <laughs> uh, well, personally, I think, I mean, I know there's a campaign out there for Wings to get in on their own merit. As much as I would like to see that, I think that they're already in under the guise of Paul's solo career. Mm. Yeah. If you ask any casual music fan, they classify Wings as Paul McCartney solo. Right. While while us uh, McCartney nerds classify McCartney solo and Wings as two separate things. Right. Um, 
then yeah. there's the blending of it with Paul McCartney and Wings, and it gets so confusing. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I, I think it was De- right. Didn't Denny himself say like, "Yeah, it was just a Paul project. We're not getting in." I think he kind of threw a bucket of. Well, John Lennon said that too. He said, "Oh, well, it's not Wings. It's just a bunch of backup musicians for Paul music." Mm. Yeah, but John Lennon was an a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently Denny's like changed his mind a few times or whatever. I know more recently he's he thinks I think they're already in or whatever, but yeah. or he he thinks that Wings wasn't a true band. Yeah, was his comment or whatever. But Denny, really? Yeah. Well, now that he's in with the Moody Blues, he's got a big head. He's like, I don't need to get in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Denny was a very very important part to McCartney. For many years, probably longer than John Lennon, I would think. You know, from 1971 through 1980 or 81. Sure. Yeah, I think Denny left in like April of 81. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird to see him in all those photos from, I guess it was Montserrat for Tug of War. Because th- I, I don't know, like you were saying earlier, you classify Wings as a separate thing or, you know, McCartney nerds do that. I guess I don't really, I just, I kind of see it as one body of work. And I think that Paul like let himself have fun in that space. And I find it shocking that other people in that band got out songs on albums. And that's to Paul's credit, I think, just because when I think of Wings, I really do think of it like a, like, I forget who was, who said it, maybe it was dead. They're sort of like Plastic Ono band in a way. They're like whatever Paul needs them to be in that moment. But the fact that you get Wine of Junk go on record, the fact that you get Joe English to do a vocal, a prominent vocal on a McCartney-written song, the fact that you get Denny songs. I mean, we were listening the other day on the on the Yesterday and Today podcast, Dad, and there was an interview with an Australian news outlet who was talking about, was it Time to Hide as as possibly being a single? They're like, oh, that should be the single. And I was thinking, boy, Paul, that would have yeah, been would the next be. step, you know, <laughs> if Paul having somebody not him put out the single. I don't know if that would happen. But anyway, you know, with Tug of War, it does feel like a separate thing. So it's interesting to see Denny involved there. Well, originally Tug of War was supposed to be the next Wings record. Right. Yeah. But, the, demos. So that would have been interesting if it would have been a Wings record. But I know Medicine Jar was the first non-Paul song on a Wings album. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Because the Denny stuff was all shelved, right? There was Send Me the Heart and um, the other one. I Would Only Smile. I Would Only Smile, yeah. Henry's Blues wasn't on any record. It was gonna be. Yeah, it was gonna be. <laughs> I kind of feel like Henry's Blues was a call for help. <laughs> <laughs> well... Paul, it was wonderful chatting with you today. When can people, like, so you're still working on the book. Once that's ready to come out, we'll, we'll direct people in the right way on our social channels and on our website. But uh, is there any updates that you're thinking about Target for release right now or TBD and we'll go from there? TBD at the moment, his brother is looking over the manuscript. Um, he's finished it. So now we just have to go over his notes. Yeah. And then I have to get some, uh, some visuals as well from his family. So I'll let you know once I have a more concrete date. Um, yeah, you've been working on this for quite a while, like a few yeah. years now. Yeah, yeah 13. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, we're, we're super excited to crack into this book and finally get some different stories from people around Jimmy and, and Jimmy's life. And it's uh, 
some real stories. Yeah. You know, I'm tired of reading garbage about a lot of people and, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I really am looking forward to this book. I can't wait. Well, it's, it's definitely been a labor of love on my part. I hope once people read it, they get to see uh, a glimpse of who Jimmy really was and hopefully gain a new appreciation for him as a person and as a musician. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you. When Paul said, oh, we're going to interview Paul, I thought, wow, great. And I started going back and looking at all of Jimmy's work on YouTube mm-hmm. and everywhere else. I have some old videos. And um, it just put me back into that, like, wow, this guy is freaking good. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for bringing My it My pleasure. To us. <laughs> That's all that matters to me is, yeah. uh, you know, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? <laughs> Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast, or facebook.com slash third men, or you could head to society6.com slash Kaminsky family podcast, that's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.